for me, it's all about creating habits, especially as I get older. Like I really push hard on the fitness side and uh, in order to be in great shape, like it takes a combo of a lot of great habits and timing and sleep and like, you know, supplements and like all the things. So like that quote to me really emulates like how a person lives their life. And uh, I think that there is so much truth to that uh, when it comes to both personal and the professional world. What are we talking about on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast? We're talking about business, specifically your business. Is it growing or are you stuck? How painful is that growth? Is it running you or are you running it? Are you working in your business or on your business? On the Grow Your Damn Business podcast, we explore these questions and much more. Expect a lively, spirited discussion about what it takes to grow your damn business. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. I am your host, Scott Goodrich, joined by a fellow Phoenician, Arizonian today, Max Hansen, CEO of Y Scouts. Max, thank you so much for covering some time in your day to join the show. Thanks for having me, Scott. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been great chatting with you here over the last uh, a couple of months, Max. I've had a chance to connect on. More than one occasion, we, we kind of hang out in the, in the same circles in the uh, EOS and, and the right people, right seat conversation. So it's been, been a great, uh, great chance to get to know one another a little bit better and hopefully a chance now for Max to, to get to, you get to know Max and Max to share his story with us. So Max, just tell me a little about where you are today and then we're going to go backwards a little bit about what your journey has been like and where you've been. But just tell us about Y Scouts and, and when that founded and, and a little history there. Yeah, so Y Scouts is uh, the first ever purpose-based leadership search firm on the planet. What that means is we do all retain C-level searches. Um, we prioritize aligning people on the soft skills, culture aspects, in addition to professional competencies and leadership skills. And uh, prior to Y Scouts, I know we'll get into that, but I've been in the recruiting space since 1998, which ages me a little bit. Uh, hence me not having a lot of hair and a great beard. Uh, so we've hired quite a few people and uh, it, it's been an, an incredible journey growing Y Scouts. We started Y Scouts officially in 2012, but also get into kind of how that fit in with the other companies. Cause at one point I was running uh, multiple other companies as well. So thanks for having me. Yeah, no, great to have you. And the, yeah, yeah. Not, not your first rodeo in starting Y Scouts. So let, let's just go there, right? So your, your start was as a recruiter, I use in the word, right? You, you started in that space working for somebody else and, and doing the, this gig that, uh, that is obviously well known out there. So tell me about why there, why, why it started there. And then how did that become what it's become to you today, which, which is really much more fulfilling than just the, the job aspect of, of the recruiting side of things, but you know, why recruiting from the job? Yeah, so I, I wish I kind of had a better like origin story. But <laughs> the real story I'll share just because I, I think people like uh, the authenticity of you know how people started. Uh, I when I graduated college, I wanted to live in San Diego. I graduated from NAU and I was in Flagstaff. And the one thing I knew is uh, uh, you didn't want to get stuck in Flagstaff. No offense to the people that do; it's a wonderful place. But if you're trying to advance in your profession, Flagstaff is not a hotbed for you know advancement in your career. Right. So I went to uh, San Diego. I lived with my brother who was working for General Dynamics and learned how to surf. The goal was to get a job there. I interviewed and spent, I don't know, a couple months there surfing. And and uh, long story semi-short, I had a buddy that introduced me to or called me. He was from in, in Phoenix. His name's Bo Lomp. He uh, asked if I'd be interested in interviewing with Aerotech because he worked there, which was a which is a uh, you know Fortune, I guess probably fifty 
yeah, uh, huge. At this point. Yeah. And so that was my that was my first experience was at Aerotech. And man, what a great experience Aerotech was. Um, you know, there are people that, you know, a lot of people that love it and that have been there. Um, it was very well established. Stephen Bushotti, who I believe still owns uh, part of the company, he was one of the founders. It was closely held then. They had really, ex really good um, processes and systems, established processes and systems and training. So I spent about two years there and uh, it, it was a great ride. Um, I started as a telecom tech recruiter. And what that okay. means when I tell people that, especially younger people that, you know, work for us and work for me or in the industry, we were essentially recruiting uh, the techs that were building the central office install like locations. So like the Quest, uh, you know, central office uh, places right. that don't have windows that have all the equipment for the internet. So we're basically uh, in, a, in essence building the internet. Um, so that was a great experience. Learned a lot at Aerotech. I left there to go work for a smaller company based in Tempe for a little bit higher base, which hindsight 2020 is kind of laughable because of, uh, it was an experience. I got there. Sure, and yeah. You know, I learned a lot, but one thing I, uh, what I felt like is I felt like I jumped off like the best aircraft carrier you could be on. And I was now in a dinghy in a small business. Um, and then, you know, through trial. Did you regret that? But does it, I mean, did, like so making that choice, you, you kind of short term, and we've all made them, right? A short term trade off decision, as you said, a little higher base uh, at, at that moment. But did you, when, when you're in the middle of that, did you look back and say, Yo, what did I just do to myself? Did that, that cross your mind at all? Yeah, I mean, I think during the moment I did hindsight twenty twenty. You know, it, it was definitely a step in the right direction. But in the moment I did because when I got there, the things that I didn't, you know, kind of understand or appreciate about Aerotech is like their systems and processes and just everything they had built. You know, in a nationwide kind of you know network and and uh, company. So there were some moments where I was like, man, what did I just do? And then uh, I was also in a BD role there. So I now okay. had to play mm -hmm. to my strengths, right. uh, produce business. Long story so much short, after about two years of that, 9-11 uh, hit. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, the way I kind of see it is I was always trying to convince these guys that ran this small business to let me you know, kind of manage and lead the business. And finally they agreed to, and then 9-11 hit. And, uh, and if, if people that understand what 9-11 did to the to the recruiting business, particularly in manufacturing where, where I spent a lot of time, it basically you know halted everything and uh, they were putting some pressure and, and long story kind of short, I, I, um, I didn't love the culture there, uh, no knock on them, but it wasn't something that I you know, really wanted to put my name on. So through a lot of soul searching, I started to think about, you know, if I really wanted to build a culture uh, that that was that I liked. Uh, that I might have to do it on my own, which was yeah. a scary thought because I think I was maybe 24, 25 years old at the time. So I then decided um, to start approaching people, which I met with this particular guy that was one of my competitors that was in the area, and uh, asked him if he ever thought about starting his own business. And through a bunch of conversations, we ended up starting our first company, January of 2002. So in the wake of 9/11. And it was called Job Brokers, which the irony in that is uh, what I have learned through this journey, and we'll probably get further into it yeah. with Y Scouts, is nobody really is looking for a job in this day and age. Nobody says, like, I can't wait to get a job, like yeah. at least a professional. And then nobody really wants a broker involved. So uh, so we started that company, but we had a really good run and hired uh, probably about 50,000 people in that business, scaled very quickly uh, for the next 10 years. And then- Along the way, 
uh, we started to, um, I started to think about how we could do things a little bit different and better. And then that's how Y Scouts was. Y Scouts came, came from that. Yeah. let you jump in we can do, no no it's good it's, it's really, really interesting stuff to do that that early so let me just t- take a step there so you, you decided you want to go out on your own always a a, a lot of folks have this idea right and, and then that there's the smaller group that has the the courage to step into it then the even smaller group that makes you go a bit and the smaller group that really lets it take off like you did so that that pyramid or that the inverted pyramid right it gets 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 narrow very quickly there um was there anything that that you observed in, in, in growing up, or that you had seen from others or other mentors that said, "You know, go in your own way," right? That that entrepreneurial spirit did it exist before then? Because you did actually get a job to start, right? Aerotech was that job. You needed something. It was could be it was good for the location that you wanted to be in. But this is a pretty big turn at a fairly young age uh, to to take that on. So, what was there something there that was a real impetus uh, for you to do that? You know, I don't know if there's, there's nobody in my family. Like I didn't, there's people that, you know, had owned maybe some small businesses, but my parents were, you know, worked for, my mom was a nurse and, and for many years worked for St. Joseph's and, and my dad uh, worked in uh, kind of the food business. My stepdad was a VP of sales for a big corporation. So there was nobody really close to me that was you right. know, entrepreneurial, but I will say, I think the impetus of becoming an entrepreneur um, was my desire to be competitive and desire to mm. win. And that has changed a little bit, but I did, I feel like I was able to, uh, when I was growing up, I was, you know, God gifted, good, you know, was giving really good skills athletically. And, and, uh, I felt like I learned a lot in sports and how to lead people, how to interpret yeah. people, how to be humble, how to do all those things. And I think that competitiveness was the number one thing that drove me to figure out how to channel that competitiveness in the professional world and really use it to my uh, benefit. Uh, so that was kind of the one thing that I think probably drove me more than anything. And ironically, right. my brother, who's two years older than me, he is also an entrepreneur. So we were kind of the only uh, entrepreneurs in Longer our family, the family. That yeah. started there and, and continue there. Well, and some folks will get, so let's go to that, that second company that, that you, when you came back to Tempe and, and spent some time in, in that organization, you mentioned clearly that there was a cultural mismatch, what, what you're trying to run this organization, but wasn't really aligned there. What were some of those values there? Because if it, it's great that you can recognize that there's a values mismatch so often folks continue on with something, even if there's that values mismatch, because it's the safe way to go. You, you are bolder in that step, but can, can you pinpoint a couple of values? Can you remember back to when it was like, this is not, this is not clicking with me. And it was enough that you wanted to make that change besides just the competitiveness. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, the things that stick out to me about that particular <laughs> company was the two owners were both very nice people and I had a good relationship with each one of them, but together, uh, they didn't have that great of a relationship. They didn't have the same mm-hmm. vision. Um, they didn't have really good energy. Uh, you know, they, I think that they were successful, but I don't think they even realized the, you know, kind of negativeness that they emitted. Uh, and I didn't feel like, I felt like they were pretty happy with what they had. They were happy with, uh, you know, we'll call and we can further define this, but a lifestyle business and they kind yeah. of, you know, liked their, what the way they were doing things. And so that wasn't the way I kind of wanted to do stuff. I wanted to be a lot more, you know, kind of forward thinking and innovative and involved. And so th- those were the things that, um, you know, that, that kind of helped me grow apart and helped me realize that, you know, it was time for me to move on and, and start my own business. Yeah. That speaks to you. And I've had this conversation before that, uh, 
you know, Gino's contention, um, yeah, I think he actually made it at a talk that you're at about whether entrepreneurs are born or made. Uh, Gino Wickman, the author of Traction um, and uh, founder of EOS. And, and you know, th- in this particular instance, I, I think it's born, it was in you, right? And to, to go out there and do this, you're making these, the you're coming to these conclusions and this realization, I'd say pretty early on in your career, uh, you, you tried a little bit of the W2 route, but realized that that was, that's not you. It did not reflect what you wanted and doing this so rather than search out another another j- job <laughs> you saw i'm doing this right and had that um at the beginning there what, what were some of the things that you learned very quickly on the challenge side and that, that a couple of things that allowed you to have that growth because obviously it was massive growth for you in your in that job broker business despite the name uh but what were a couple of those things that you had to overcome really quickly yeah so i think the first thing is is you know hindsight 2020 when i look sure. at the timeline in the moment, I mean, there was a, you know, over a year period, period of time where uh, it was, it was kind of a struggle. I mean, we weren't making that much progress. We had two investors that owned 50% of our business. We were working in their office and um, I wouldn't say we were the laughing stock, but like, it wasn't really, you know, we weren't making them a ton of money. It didn't look like we're going to, you know, end up, it was going to be a great opportunity for them. So we had to push through, you know, just, you know, kind of staying focused and staying with it. And when you're that young and you don't really know what to do, you haven't experienced that. I'd say the things that I remember, I remember some pretty dark times of, you know, I was more of the BD guy and I wasn't really <laughs> bringing in enough business. And um, I remember, you know, I was single and, you know, had all the flexibility, you know, that I, that I could. I remember working out in, you know, at, at LA Fitness and my other my partner did too and probably still does today. Um, but I remember thinking when I was at the gym that you know, maybe I should be at the office, you know, cranking out some more cold calls or putting in some more effort. And uh, hindsight 2020, I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I stuck to stick, staying in the gym because I, right. I now have recognized as, you know, somebody older and more mature that my health and fitness was one of the only things that I could directly control. Not to say you can't control business, but there are you know, the outcomes directly from working out, uh, long-term have served me better than, you know, trying to overwork and, you know, kind of work myself, call it into the ground, uh, back then. So that's the one thing that I look back and really remember, yeah. cause that's something that I focus on, you know, today is I, I believe, and if you talk to my team, you know, we do a lot of things. I believe that, uh, you know, everybody's got to take care of their health first and foremost. And when I went back, I didn't even mean to do it, but that's what I was doing. And, uh, it ended up being okay. Um, but I remember just, you know, just pushing through and just, you know, having the, uh, you know, continuing to push through the, some, some pretty dark times when yeah. it wasn't going through. So that's what kind of sticks out at me. And then sure. it started to click and, uh, and there are some times which we can get into, there are some, some awesome, like, um, sales stories or sales victories that we had, you know, relatively early on in the first two or three years that I look back on, I'm really like grateful for. Um, that are very motivating to me still. So we started to get some wins relatively early, but there was, you know, a year or so where it was pretty slow going and a lot of, uh, you know, digging ourselves up, uh, you know, out of the, uh, out of the dumps of, of not selling enough. And you've got that perspective early on, which, which, which is great. And it's, it is easy to recognize in hindsight that taking care of the individual is, is, is as critical as anything you could do to, to build the business. And for folks that, end up making a trade-off where they're not taking care of themselves that actually unnoted, maybe not even, you know, unwittingly realize that, oh my goodness, I'm actually hurting my business by not taking care of self. So 
good for you to, to make that recognition. Um, I would like to hear one of those stories, right? Because there's no business that's happening overnight. It, all these things do take hard work and, and perseverance. I'm sure you displayed plenty of that, despite you said, you know, not, a, not doing every cool call and hitting the gym a little bit. What were a couple of those wins? It's always great for folks here. Look, we, we know there's tough times, but was there a couple of, it sounds like there was a couple of sales or a couple of opportunities that were really catalysts to, to get to that level and get to that place where you said you've ended up filling, what, 50,000 jobs over the course of time when you had job over. Yeah, so the one I would share, you know, it's funny, I haven't really shared this uh, in this forum. Uh, and I and I will enjoy telling this story, but I haven't yeah. really told it to many people um, lately when they ask about it. But this was a really critical time. So back when we were doing business development, I feel like an old man saying back when we went to the- <laughs> Back in the field. day, we had to, you know, yeah. dial out a rotary phone and you know, pick it up and had a headset attached to your phone in your office. All the things that we, we, we did back in the day, cold yeah. call. Yeah. So we, you know, I did a lot of, I got in my car and, yeah. you know, started to do what I thought needed to be done. And that was get in front of people. And I remember I found myself uh, underneath the freeway, the, the I-17 or 10, I can't remember. And it was a company called Chemical Transport. It's called CTI. And I went there to, uh, you know, try to run into a hiring manager. I had done some work in, uh, you know, in some blue collar work before. And, and so that's kind of what they do. They do a lot of different stuff. But so I'm underneath this, this, you know, in this pretty dingy office, I meet this guy that tells me that they want to bid for, to decommission a Motorola plant at uh, uh, Dobson and um, uh, Baseline. Oh. Okay. And so, yep. you, you know, if you're decommissioning a Motorola plant, I mean, clearly the market wasn't great. They're like yep. taking Motorola plants out. And so what he needed from us, he, I was like, well, what do you need to hire? And he said, well, I need a bunch of techs that are hazmat certified to wear respirators to basically cut one foot pieces of uh, piping out of the wall and remove it. Because in a semiconductor plant, there's a bunch of chemicals that are not necessarily environmentally friendly. So yeah. the way they have to remove it is very carefully, you know, in, in, you know, different pieces. And at this time I, we knew nothing about like doing this type of work. So, so I, I say yes. And you know, is it, I remember at the time before he told me about the work, I'm like, what am I doing here? What, this guy's what's happening. Yeah, yeah. This guy, like to, to paint the picture even further, why is smoking a cigarette at his desk, which you don't see very much anymore. No. I'm not joking, yeah. but, uh, so I remember that happening and then me telling him, telling me that. So I come back to the office and he needed like, it was a pretty long project. I didn't understand the scope of it. Long story, I guess somewhat short is we ended up thinking through. So we had to, first of all, figure out how we're going to hazmat certify these people, which was like right. a 40 hour like class that you put them through. So we did enough of these. We paid somebody, paid a company to hazmat certify them. And then I and my partner decided like, what, like who's certified? Let's just hire that person ourselves. So we took the instructor, hired him ourselves, put him in our office and started certifying the people, you know, about, you know, 10 at a time. Wow. And then we put him back. What a move. And so that, that was one of the things. So that work turned out to be, you know, amazing. And I give you kind of some of the numbers on that, you know, it was contract to hire work, but the thing that. I remember that stood out. The reason why that really penciled out was I think we probably had any anywhere between 20 and 30 people at a time working out there. We hazmat certified them. I think they're getting paid. You know, the guys were getting paid $15 an hour. We paid for their certification, which they appreciated in most cases. And then they would work. And then, you know, time and a half was 40 hours. Double time was anything over 60. And these guys were all working like 80 hours a week. So 
every single person we're making, you know, I, I don't know, at least a, a thousand or close to two thousand hours a week off these guys. And this was relatively early, so that was, yeah. you know, one uh, one story. And I've got you know one other that comes to mind if you if you want to hear it. Yeah, you know? no, I, but I, I want to just give, give you credit where credit's due. You are obviously very familiar. With EOS, you've used it at, at Wise Gods. You, you hire folks into to companies that run on EOS. And that, that's a visionary move right there. Like, okay, let's just bring that person in. Like, let's cut out that that middle person there and, and have that in-house right, right there and, and kind of just see in the long game, to, to your credit, Bax. And I know you said you were young and doing this and just you know starting this company out there, but seeing that long game, kind of seeing around the corner a little bit to make that happen. I'm sure looking back, it's like, oh, great idea but that's it you're making a bet there right you're making a bet that that's gonna that's gonna pay off it's gonna work and that return's gonna come so i just you know credit where credit's due to have that that, that vision and foresight to say this is something that can really make a go of it yeah absolutely you know ironically hindsight 2020 i would never take that work in but this was back then because of the happen. uh because of the risks of the workers comp risk like when i would show up to we'd show up to like hand them out their checks because back then not everybody used ACH or barely anybody did. So we would, uh, or direct deposit. So we come bring them their checks. They would have like these respirators on, it would be like 110 and they'd be standing inside a tank, like cutting stuff inside a tank. Like it was the most dangerous stuff after I learned about workers comp risk a little bit further. Right. Uh, so hindsight 2020, you know, like if I paint the full picture, people would be like, holy crap, I can't believe you took on that responsibility and the legal liability, but it paid off. We were young and I guess, you know, when you're younger, and you can take those risks, but I wouldn't yeah, suggest yeah. people do that in this day and age unless that's what No, I get you. But there was a, I mean, look, any decision like that's going to have a degree of risk tolerance. And what oftentimes we're talking about visionaries and be able to stick it through the early days that are tough there. And you're making some decisions. Yeah, I think we can, you know, the, the example being, yeah, that that work work environment. I know no one's here saying that, that that's the path to go, but I, you know, just the, the concept of understanding risk, appreciating risk, because that could all just, just turn around when it first didn't through, didn't go first didn't hires didn't work out and you bring that person in you can't get anyone right and there could have been some stuff that went on that, that was went the other way it worked out great uh in in terms of the the business build um, sure. but that's still there's still a, a, an appetite for risk and that, that is a commonality that we find amongst visionaries founders of companies that there's this appetite to say okay i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna make that better make that gamble and uh you know they don't know it pay off you but you've got the appetite to do it Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We just said, yeah, I'm happy to share one, one more conversation yeah. on, on that sales journey. I mean, these, these things are great. The, the, these launch points, because I think as you're an entrepreneur out there, you're looking for those moments when it's okay. I made this contact and this person introduced me to these three people. And that, right. That, that, those are the things that a lot in this case, you, so it was a cold call, but you, you look back at those. And say, oh, that's how I, that's actually how I built this business. So I got this thing going with it, with these couple of moments that allowed for the other moments to happen. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, I will share one more, and ironically, it's with a company called Goodrich, uh, Goodrich Aircraft <laughs> Products, which that's kind of, I was looking at your name on the bottom of my yeah. screen, so there's probably more, but I'll tell you this one, and we can kind of move on to some other stuff too. Uh, but I remember, you know, when you're a small staffing company, like we were, you go to these big companies like Goodrich Aircraft Interior Products at the time, just to frame it up, they were just about to finish the evacuation system for the A the A380, which is the largest yeah, you know, yeah. in the world right now, co yeah. co commercial plane. And uh, all they needed was these evacuation systems. And then, you know, I think Virgin had a bunch that they bought. And so uh, 
I walk in Goodrich on foot again. Uh, and typically in these big companies, the HR person comes out and like, it's a room, like you, you go in this door and it's like a, it's almost like a prison, like it's locked off, but there's like a window. And I told lady, I'm like, Hey, I just want to drop off my stuff. Ask for the person that, you know, ran it. She's like, they're unavailable. And she said, well, we've got a national agreement with a deco and name like five companies that they're already working with. I said, thanks. Well, here's my information. If anything changes, let me know. So I walk out and as I'm walking out, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, approaching my car and all of a sudden she comes running out. She's like, Hey, wait a minute. I just talked to a manager. We have one role that we'd like you to work on if you're open to working on it. And that one role was a pro e designer. And I didn't know all this backstory until after the fact, but they were having some design issues, which grounded these planes. In fact, Airbus, the execs from Airbus in Europe were in their office, like working every day, trying to get this worked so out. Do, wow. You didn't know it at the time. So, no, yeah. yeah. so I bring it back to my, and, and get, you know, I got to give credit where credit's due. My business partner was really good on the design side. He also was a pilot and came from kind of the aerospace kind of background from Minneapolis. And uh, so he found this pro engineer designer and I guess the guy went in because then they called me in again and said, hey, I walk in this boardroom and like all these guys are, you know, guys and gals are standing in there. Well, this pro E designer had fixed the design issue and it was such a big issue that they said, hey, we know you're a relatively small company, but since you helped us with this, it was such a, you know, such a big, uh, you know, such a big achievement. We'd want to offer like the rest of the work because now all the production work began where they had to build yeah. the airbags, you know, and do all the work to pack them, put them in planes. So they really offered us all the work. And then that was, we decided to take much of it. In fact, they even went as far as like, we didn't have proper insurance to insure these guys uh, and gals in Europe uh, to do work. So they like insured us and did all sorts of stuff to make this like happen for us. So it was one of the most fortuitous bounces that we got, um, but it was, you know, through some hard work and, you know, cold called on foot. My partner came through and found a good pro-E designer. And that was a really big, uh, you know, big, big piece. Now, every time I see an A380, which is often, if you go to the airport or international airport, I always remember that story that we were, you know, kind of in the mix of that, uh, that whole deal. Yeah. Well, and those stories stand out, but what does, what, what you're not sharing is the hundred other doors that you actually cold called and knocked on, left behind the stuff, and they took that stuff and put it in the in the circular bin as you walked back out the front door to your car, right? So the right that, that that's that's the unknown side of it, as we all know in in any sales gig, that the numbers that are there. So you you do the work, and then the luck is born from the hard work and persistence, and, and that yeah. you've got a couple right there. So yes, it ended then then did quality work from there. Um, Let's let's flip it a little bit because I I think you've changed, right? You 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 mentioned already you've grown, matured. You've got a different lens that you look through th these things with, and so Y Scouts was born out of a different. I think purpose is the right word. I'm, I don't mean to put one in in, in your mouth there, but you know, the purpose of, of of how you're actually going to work differently going forward. So tell me about the birth of Y Scouts from this sort of job brokers, normal kind of, let me, let me help out companies with some volume staffing needs to something quite different, what you have today. Yeah. So I'll try to do this just, uh, because I know people listening, I'll try to say this in the fewest words possible and still get the biggest impact. But so in that, this was an amazing journey. Like I wanted to become an entrepreneur. Me and my business partner became entrepreneurs. We, you know, enjoyed the, the labors of our, the fruit <laughs> of our labors and but I, there was something missing for me uh, and probably for him to a certain degree. But we did a lot of contract to hire and, and what we experienced, we did do some direct placement. We did very little retained at the time, like very little. 
But one thing I started to realize just with experience and seeing these different models and these different companies was the contract to hire model. That's great for some people. For me, it started to kind of weigh on me heavy mm. because when you do contract to hire, you're kind of okay with, and a lot of these clients, which I won't get into the details of them because in this case, they probably don't want their names brought up. Right. But kind of like you bring these people, there's a lot of turnover. It's okay because you're the one dealing with the turnover. It's legally on your payroll. So, you know, that's what we did, but I started with time after making a decent amount of money in that, that area. I started to realize that there were bigger problems further upstream in these companies and that what we were contributing to in some cases was, um, you know, kind of just perpetuating the problem, the turnover problem. And I knew that there's, there could be, if you've moved upstream and you really got, you know, on the right ears, you could probably had eliminated a lot of that turnover through some bigger decisions. So I always had this desire to really solve bigger problems and play a bigger game in, in, in you know, higher level roles. So we start working upstream. So that bothered me a bit. Um, there was also the second issue of, uh, for me, was, uh, was uh, the receivables. So when you're working for these big companies, obviously, you know, everybody knows in business, kind of the person that, you know, kind of rules the receivables conversation is the lot bigger company. So you're kind of at their mercy. And so they, we would go out millions of dollars and they, I would have to go get a check sometimes being right. like, like from the company, they'd write us yeah. a check so they could put it as our, our account because our line of credit would run out. And then, you know, kind of the third thing that really drove me to wanting to do something bigger and better, you know, as far as wise scouts uh, in creating a different process and really thinking about aligning people on purpose and values was there were a lot of injuries too. And that yeah. started to really wear on me ethically mm -hmm. because it was on, REIN, my, you know, basically social security number in, in a way. And so those three things were the drivers for me to start asking the question, am I really happy doing this? Like, is this what I really, is this driving meaning and purpose in my own life? And so that kind of drove me and this, you know, it, hindsight 2020, it's a straight line. This was far from a straight line. Oh, yeah. Now. Yeah. I was kind of, you know, ups and downs and kind of like, man, what am I going to do? Like, I know I'm making a ton of money and you got to, you know, we're doing tens of millions of dollars, you know, in this world and it's just me and one other partner. But, uh, you know, I really got lost in my, with my own purpose and, and mm -hmm. meaning uh, in order to figure out that what I could do is create a company, just focus on retain level stuff and help other leaders and other businesses align on purpose and values and have a, re a much bigger impact. And then, you know, we started to think about once we started, once I made the leap, when we started Wise Scouts, we started thinking about all the other problems that exist in the current hiring model today, which is we believe, you know, this is, again, this is a Wise Scouts thing. We believe that the job posting boards somewhat broke the hiring process, meaning there's too much information given out, especially at the senior level. If you post everything about the job and, and try to interview somebody and try to, you know, vet them, they're going to tell you everything you want to hear because they're really smart. And that's yeah. what we've tried in the U.S., you know, kind of, sure. you know, act. I say U.S. because it's not as prevalent outside the United States, but in the United States, we, for the most part, uh, encourage people in a lot of weird ways to embellish what they've done in the past in order to get a job. So for us at Y Scouts, we wanted to create a process, which we have where, you know, not only do we help companies define success in the role properly, so they find the right type of person, but also take somebody through a, a covert process, meaning like we don't post jobs, we do discovery with candidates. Before we even tell them what the role in the what the role in the client or the the company name is, so we can truly authentically understand who they are to make sure that they're aligned before we get it, we get into the details of the role. And 
there's a lot there, but there, that process actually feels really good to the candidate because most people don't go out of their way to really uncover who the candidate really is before they try to like align them to the competencies and just hire them based on competencies only. So there's a lot there, but I'll, I'll kind of stop. Yeah, there. well, you're going deeper on both sides too, right? I mean, because you're also, you're partnering with the, the, the company to make sure they really understand what it is that they want. Uh, and, and this is also has has been a challenge over the course of time where you're where, where companies get stuck in this just hiring for the the skills that are there and not paying any attention to these softer skills that you've mentioned you know call them core values which is was a bit but actually living off of those core values so first off does the company even have them and know what they want because it's person can have all those skills but if they bring them in and it's it's a mismatch on that that value side and an understanding of that you got a big prop because we, you and I both know that that's so critical in, in making sure that in my mind, actually a little more critical than, than the skill set. but you got to spend time on that side as well, right? I mean, you're, you're working with these companies to have really pulling from them what they want and they might not yeah. even know it. Yeah, absolutely. So every company we work with, we call it org DNA. So company DNA, org DNA, kind of the same thing. Yeah. It is the purpose values and the culture, like, you know, kind of unique culture aspects of a company. Right. Yeah, and so we'll take a company through and do a cross section and really understand not only what their values are and align people to their values, but really ask people like what they see and what's really going on in the business. And we use that information to align candidates so we understand the company DNA. And uh, and then as far as defining the role, I think this is super important. You know, if there's like one thing that like take away from this for people that are hiring is we work with a lot of companies that, you know, you shouldn't be hiring a lot of C-level people for obvious reasons. I mean, you hire your leadership team, hopefully they stay. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of people that aren't, you know, they're not experienced in this. Most people aren't, you know, most founders, leaders, CEOs, whatever, you know, even C-suite folks aren't really, they don't hire other C-suite folks very often. But I'd say the thing that we have uncovered, uh, you know, through our process from when we first started this in, you know, 2011, 12, when we established it was, really getting clear, helping clients get clear on what are the three success outcomes that are going to be the most important that this person achieves, this new leader, um, in the first 12 to 18 month window and being very clear on that. So it's different than you know, what companies typically do, which is copy and paste a job description from somewhere yeah. else and try to put everything in the kitchen sink under there and then start recruiting from there. This is a much different way of thinking about it is like, what does this person ultimately need to achieve in order to be successful, like in a simplified way, not a complex way? Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I've, I've obviously seen the output uh, of some of the work that you've done that you've shared with Ben, and, and it really is is revealing. And and right. I, I think you've also shared like the leadership didn't even know what they didn't know until you got involved and started spending that time with them and, and realized, oh, yeah, okay, that, you know, that defines it better. You're just going to create a much better match for them in, in doing that. And then, like, as you mentioned, then the clients coming in, not knowing they, they don't have the benefit of, of just spitting back the the JD and all that's in there. You know, we're going to learn about that client. I mean, the, the process is, is, is involved on both sides. Um, once again, with that, with that business, right? So it's an idea. It, it's fulfilling that purpose, scale of passion. Let's just, let's just go to, is there, has there been something in that space that has really allowed you the growth that, that you've seen there. Can, can you point to that? It was an idea. You've got some good processes now, but was there a moment in time where you said, okay, now I've really got something, I got some traction to turn a phrase, but I've got something here to that's going to really get us going. Yeah, I think, um, you know, early on when it doesn't, you know, it'll kind of probably surprise some people, but back in 2012, when we started this, 
when we were telling people, hey, we've got a process to help you align people on culture, purpose, and values, in addition to professional competencies and you know leadership skills, we also have a leadership model, which we can get into that we align people to, uh, that has behavioral, elevated behaviors is what we call it. But when we were telling people about this model, they were all nodding their head like, oh yeah, that totally makes sense. But in 2012, like, as soon as we hung up the phone or left the room, it made sense, but nobody was really that bold to, to actually change their process in order to right. embody it. And so that took, you know, it took multiple years for that um, really to happen. And uh, But I, I do think like we knew that there was something special that we were onto as far as like, you know, we saw all the data coming in that people and leaders cared a lot about being aligned to the culture. And sometimes that doesn't necessarily have to be just, you know, to their values and purpose, like directly. Sometimes it can be like, you know, some of the, some of the companies you work with, they just were, they're companies that cared about their people. And so they helped develop their people. Therefore people wanted to work for them. And so, you know, we, we started the business specializing in purpose-driven companies only. We didn't specialize in any particular industry, which was an, a unique way to start and have right. its challenges. But um, ultimately, we, we ended up uh, uh, attracting a lot of really great companies that did have great cultures, which if you think about who you really want to recruit for and who's willing to make a move to move to another company, it's those types of companies. So yeah. that was the thing that we really, you know, when I look back and say, yeah, and that's still what we stand for today, that was the thing is like sticking with that, even though people weren't necessarily having it, we we're probably a little bit ahead of our time when we first started, you know, kind of telling people how important this was going to be. Uh, so that was a thing that I, you know, would really point out that, you know, kind of the, the process, everything has remained the same today. We've just evolved how we actually execute the process, but the principles of aligning people on, you know, purpose and values and culture, understanding, you know, the success outcomes, key responsibilities. And then using our leadership model um, to look at proof points in somebody's background and the leadership yeah. model is uh, how much somebody's been a relentless learner. So that's key to us. Yeah. This is our opinion, but we've kind of proved sure. it out. Uh, how much somebody's developed other people and how have they driven results. And when we think about driving results, I think that's an interesting one because um, that is pretty objective. If you dig enough, dig deep enough when you interview a leader, if you kind of look at when they entered the company and you know where when they left, like if they have a track record of getting in there and positively moving the needle, then you know it's probably going to be likely a good leader. If they're not the person, though, that's another you know thing that I, I you look out for. Doesn't mean that they're bad people because they might have been other things involved. But for us, when you're hiring at this level, you just want to make sure that you affirm or you know kind of confirm. That this person's done that before you move forward and, and, yeah. and put them in a critical role like we do, I, and I actually, when, when, as you're going through that, as as, as I said, we talked previously about this, the, the that relentless leader, the relentless learner part of, of leadership. Um, I think that's the one that it that is missed. Well, I I'll speak personally for myself and and having various leadership roles in companies. It's you don't spend a lot of time there or you dabble in it a little bit and, and it's if you don't take it up on your own and, and you get busy with work, if you can identify those folks that are continue to to, to, to learn it, and we're not talking about skills, but learning more about themselves and how to be competitive leaders, how to communicate better, how to really understand the folks as they're, they're bringing them on. Like, man, it, it is hard to undervalue that as you're thinking about ratting out a leadership team and really wanting to move your company forward because you're always going to be getting folks that are curious and that curiosity is going to lead to such great things. Um, so I would just say that that's been a, certainly something that I have observed. That's a gap. 
um, in, in some in some companies. And when you can find those that are willing to do it, boy, then you've got someone that wants to do something special. They're, they're not going to be content with the status quo. Uh, yeah. You know, the one thing I'd point out with that is I think everybody, you know, you can resonate with the positive side of be it somebody that's a relentless earner. But I think the thing to, to really watch out for uh, is the opposite of a relentless earner, which is a know-it-all. And these people, <laughs> yeah. sometimes they, they've made progress in their career prior by, you know, kind of pushing people around. But in this day and age, especially with all the different generations, and this isn't a generational thing, I would say though, uh, older folks, and I, yeah, I'm kind of older too, so I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not spotting anybody out. But let's call it baby boomers. You know, there's probably more know-it-all baby boomers than there are younger, just because that worked back then. You know what I yeah. mean? Times changed, and now we have multiple generations trying to work together. And so I'd say that one thing is. Not only do you want to make sure the person has a relentless learning, like you know, background in you know, kind of track record, but you definitely want to make sure that they're not a know-it-all and they don't stifle growth. Because when people, you know, become know-it-alls, the smart people just shut down. They quit bringing ideas and then now you're not getting the best of anybody. So that's the one thing is like, I don't mean to get on the negative run, but the opposite that's, of a, yeah. the know-it-all. Well, it just doesn't play. It, it doesn't play. And that's, you know, it just... I'll say, yeah, agent experiences just can't be the can't be the key factors in that thing. You've got to look look at these these other skills, which what you're doing through your process. Um, yeah, I love, love what you're doing there. Obviously, we, we've had the chance to talk, but I, I really really just appreciate what you're bringing to the table there. So, where where do you where do you what are your next steps? How how do you evolve? Right, when I was like to take take a quick moment just to to acknowledge, you know, where does Y Scouts evolve to? What are the things that you're working on? Is there any other other things that you'll be adding as, as you think about the next uh, couple of years? Yeah. So, uh, you know, our, I, I talked about us being a purpose-based leadership search firm, but I didn't talk about our actual purpose. Uh, but our purpose is to transform how people and companies connect to work that matters. And so when you think about that, you know, we're always wanting to innovate and, you know, how people and companies are connecting. And with all of the new tools out there and technologies, I don't think we're ever obviously going to be replaced at the most senior levels. I think somebody's always going to have to be involved in making those decisions. And there's going to be touch points where, you know, they're going to have to be involved. But for us, um, you know, transforming is a big word. And so, you know, with all these new technologies is we are now learning how to execute our process a lot faster and really utilize, you know, different pieces of technology, how to find people, how to engage with them, all those types of things. So, you know, I, I wouldn't see it that far off. We'll continue to, you know, grow the foundation of our business, which is leadership search, retain C-level. Yep. But I think that there'll be a component one day where there'll be a product involved and in, in, uh, in some cases that product might be free. Like I think that, you know, when you think about the greatest companies out there and how you produce lead magnets and ultimately produce, you know, uh, leads and sales is like you got to provide value. And, and in this day and age, it's just my personal opinion. You got to figure out how to do that free. So I think uh, where I see us going, um, you know, continuing to evolve on the, you know, the retained search side, but also continuing to evolve on the tools that we're enabling people to use in order to make sure that they're defining success correctly in roles, make sure that they're aligning people to the culture of their business. And, um, you know, of course we'll always do it ourselves, but we're going to create process or, uh, technologies that enable us to do it faster and better. And I think one day we'll be able to allow people to use those on their own, possibly without us. So that's the one yeah. thing I would. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I will give you a, a little insight on. 
Well, if, well, if you believe it, and that since we we've seen you do have a tracker to be able to see a little bit around that corner, and actually, you know, I, I think it's a pretty good bet that that the evolution is going to be somewhere in that space. So, to, right, you, you, that tracker's there. You you do have that that dagger that that ability to do that. So, guaranteed, that's where we're we headed at some point in time. Uh, Max has been awesome. I, I appreciate it. Great, great story. Great journey. Great learnings along the way. I really appreciate this sharing and, and where you are and what you're doing today. Uh, before we let you go, and we'll get a chance to make sure you get it point folks your way um five fast questions for you some, some things to get to know about you uh actually have a favorite uh sports team that uh that you're loyal to oh yeah i'm a seattle seahawks fan seahawks. I, I in spokane and uh i grew up going to their their training camps and it's nice. been an awesome to be their uh, yeah. fan of seahawks they, they're still decent this year yeah, and still hanging yeah plenty and plenty of seattle folks hanging around arizona these days as well it's going Max, if it was the last meal you were to eat, what would you have for your your last guilt free meal? Man, my last meal. I mean, I love a good mac and cheese. Mm. Like, you know, good homemade mac and cheese. Like, I mean, obviously, I, I try not to eat too much of that stuff. But like, it was guilt free, and you know, it was the last. Guilt free. That would be on my plate. Awesome. Awesome. Max, I know you've done a lot of traveling out there. Do you have a dream vacation spot either that you would return to or that you haven't been to yet that is on your list? You know, it's it's interesting. I've been really lucky to travel to, uh, you know, I'll call it over 30 countries, probably closer to 40. Um, but uh, I kind of want to go back to Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Ooh. Like it's been a while. I went to a stop of Zihuatanejo. Little, little probably- Shawshank call out there. I love it. Yeah. That's, that's, my, yeah. that's, that's my show. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. Uh, so let's go there next. Do you have a favorite rewatchable movie or a, a TV uh, show that you that you stream time and again? Something that you go back to time and again. Man, so so it's a show or a or, show. Or a movie. I mean, streaming is taken over, right? So I, I go rewatchable movie. Mine is Shawshank. Is you just you just called it like that's the one I go to if it's on. No matter where I pick it up, I'm watching it to the end. I can't help myself. It's it's just it's yeah, just my you thing. Know, I'm a I'm a nonfiction guy, so okay. I think about stuff. Really like sports. Uh, I'd say like the Thirty for Thirty series. Yeah, like those are good. Yeah. People's backgrounds and like how they got to where they're at. Probably my favorite one is Bo Jackson's story. If you haven't watched that Thirty on Thirty, that was that was pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. I actually just read the biography of Bo Jackson by Jeff Perlman. Uh, it was recommended. It's, it's it's a little bit dated. It's been out there now, but his his story is really unbelievable. And and just the, the natural athleticism and what he, everything he's been able to pick up and what he's been able to do. It's a really an amazing, amazing story. So if you are a Bo Jackson fan, it's a great book. Jeff Perlman is, is the writer of it. Good, good story yeah. to read. Um, yeah. Worth it. If you, if you, if you, you like Bo's career, uh, last one for you, do you have a favorite quote or piece of advice that you kind of turn to time and again, anchor to something that you like to share? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, this was a little cliche-ish, but I do believe in it. But I think how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it's all about creating habits, especially as I get older. I Like, I really push hard on the fitness side. And uh, in order to be in great shape, like, it takes a combo of a lot of great habits and timing and sleep and, like, you know, supplements and, like, all the things. So, like, that quote to me really emulates like how a person lives their life. And uh, I think that there is so much truth to that uh, when it comes to both personal and the professional world. 
it is harder as we get older to, to maintain that until I got to do a little bit more work every day to try to just stay at the same level as before. <laughs> Finding myself like, okay, could take a little something different. Now I got to change it up. What wouldn't work yesterday is not going to work tomorrow. If I find myself in that boat, uh, I'll do frequently. Uh, Max, thanks for sharing that. Great to have you on there. How, how can folks learn learn more about Y Scouts or reach out to you to, to connect with you if they want to learn more uh, about what you're doing with your organization? Yeah, so yscouts.com. It's Y-S-C-O-U-T-S.com. And then I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. We try to put out, you know, p- uh, bite-sized pieces of content for people. And then there's other ways you kind of engage. But uh, those would probably be the best two ways to uh, connect and follow along and we're always looking to help people, uh, you know, improve their hiring process and and hire great leaders. I'll just speak for a second. And Max is absolutely worth a follow on LinkedIn. You're gonna, you're going to learn some stuff and, and get an understanding of what how he views things and and as he talked about what what may be coming down the line. So absolutely great follow, Max. Thank you for carving out the time. I really appreciate it. And thanks for sharing those stories. Those were awesome and, and just what's what's possible through a little uh, hard work and, and uh, some sweat uh, here in the Arizona sunshine <laughs> to make some things happen. So congrats to you and all your success and congrats what you're doing with Wisecat. It's been awesome. All right. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Max. Appreciate it. The Grow Your Damn Business podcast is hosted by Scott Goodrich, a professional EOS implementer. To learn more about EOS and how it might help grow your damn business, you can email Scott at scott.goodrich at eosworldwide.com or check out his website, at www.eosworldwide.com forward slash Scott hyphen Goodrich. Thank you for listening to the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. We will see you next week on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast.